the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, we're going to be joined by Andrew Walker, author of a new book called Liberty for All, Defending Everyone's Religious Freedom in a Pluralistic Age. You're listening to The Common Good. everybody. Welcome to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really excited to have you with us today uh, on what is a chilly but beautiful I Wednesday afternoon. I was how chilly it was. I woke up and my house was like 60 degrees and yeah. we had to turn the heat back on for a minute. I was a little shocked by that. I tend to watch the Today Show in the morning and okay. Andy Avalos is the local guy. You know where they go to the weatherman on yes. NBC? Yes, yes. Uh, he used the phrase possible snow flurries here in a wait, couple days. Wait, wait. <laughs> I would like to say that we said it was happening. May snow. snow. Oh, I guess it's April, but it's coming. One more snow. It always snow. happens. I, I I'll take uh I, I will be happy that he just said snow flurries, nothing of accumulation. Okay, yeah. okay. Uh my daughter and I were joking today. Hi Aubrey, by the way. How are you? Oh hi Brian. <laughs> I'm great on this beautiful cold Wednesday afternoon. How are you? I'm good. So my daughter and I were driving to school today and we were joking that it is like the epitome of the Chicago spring because I started driving and I turned off the air conditioning that was on yesterday and we turned on the heat. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's exactly right. We actually had our AC on in our house, which is a little bit luxurious, but Kevin and I do not like a hot house. And then I switched to heat this morning and I had my fireplace on. So you're not kidding. This is Chicago in the spring. Beautiful Chicago in the spring. Absolutely. So we're glad to be with you today. Later on today, we're going to be joined by Andrew Walker, who has a fascinating book coming out called Liberty for All. Defending everyone's religious freedom in a pluralistic age. I'm really excited yeah, to talk to Yeah, that sounds so Andrew. interesting. Can't wait to learn from him. Yeah, all right. So I was at a, I'm in a monthly pastors group that I really Aww, enjoy because, look at, that. <laughs> look at you. Nice. I really enjoy this group because it's like five pastors and there's like a moderator guy, but there's like five pastors and none of us live around each other. And because of that, there's like, you know, people may not know this, but pastors, you have this weird competition sometimes. And I apologize (laughs) for my dogs in the background. Uh, But none of that occurs. We could just kind of go and talk and chat and laugh and kind of. Oh, I love that. Uh, you know, dump what's going on in our lives, yeah. whatever else it might be. And you can trust each other because you don't have some ulterior motive of right, church or whatever. Right, right, So we were talking today. We do it once every month on a Wednesday, the first Wednesday of the month. And we were chatting today. And one of the guys brought up something fascinating. And this is now the way my mind works. Like, huh, what do I think of that? And that would make a really fascinating <laughs> discussion on the radio. Oh, my God. That's how life is now, isn't it? Everything is fodder. Everything, everything is content. <laughs> everything is content, right? That's that's what our kids are afraid of as pastors, right? Uh-oh, that everything is, is sermon content. It's sermon right? illustration, right? <laughs> All right. So we were talking uh, about uh, – this guy brought up the, the ungodliness uh, and just that phrase in the Bible. And he was saying that ungodliness has more to do with living without God in mind. Like oh, living as if I don't need God at all. Hmm. Whereas usually we think of it as 
murder or adultery. All of those things fall underneath that category. Yeah, you kind of, you, you kind of, your mind goes to sin, right? Exactly. Like that's what you go to. Yeah. Exactly. And so he used, he threw out a phrase, and this is what I want you to react to. He said that most of us in the West here, including us pastors, mm. that we live in, here was his two word phrase, and he didn't make it up. We live as practical atheists. No oh, interesting. We, yeah. No matter how much we go to church, no matter mm. if we're a pastor or not, that often because of our comfort, because everything's taken care of, mm. we live our lives as if uh, whether whether God's there or not, it doesn't really matter. And so he said we live practically as atheists, even though we would never say that. I, I want you and I heard that. I well, huh, wonder what Aubrey thinks. So yeah. practical atheism and just this ability we have in the West to live as if God doesn't really matter. So this might sound tangential, but I am going somewhere with this. Okay. I'm ready. What, what strikes me as really true about that is I think sometimes in the West, we've reduced our faith to be just a set of beliefs mm-hmm. or like a moment of conversion. And I know that's not true all the time, but um, sometimes we do that and we forget that Christianity is like um, joining a life of allegiance to Christ That's over right. our entire lifetime, long obedience in the same direction as Eugene Peterson says. And so we can, I think, live as practical atheists. And probably there's a lot of Christians who live as practical atheists. Um, they believe maybe Christian things, or maybe they had a moment where they accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior or came to Christ, whatever language their church community mm-hmm. uses. But then that was sort of the end of it. That was it. Yep. And are not relying on God. And, you know, I'm pointing fingers. Of course, I do it in my own life, too. You kind of go through your day and you're like, wait, did I even depend on God for anything? This is actually, okay, I'm going to let you answer, but I want to say one more thing. Um there, I don't know. I don't know if you do much with spiritual practices, Brian. No, that was okay. that was Ian's category when. He okay, was there. <laughs> okay. Well, I, you know, I know a little bit to be dangerous, right? But there yeah. is a there's a spiritual practice called examine, where at the end of every day, you you look back over your day and you sort of just acknowledge when did I draw close to God. Mm-hmm. When did I draw away from God? And, you know, it's a graceful practice. You invite God in. It's not for judgment, but it's a way to really look at your life. Like, was I living like a practical atheist or or was I living like a follower of Jesus? Okay. I, I said enough. I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. What challenged me in the discussion was, I, I think it caused me to look in the mirror and go, where are the areas in my life where I live in such a way that, that God, it matters whether God is real or not. And that's mm. what's really difficult. I know I've had the opportunity to travel some places in the world where there, and you lived in places in uh-huh. the world where yep. it's just God is, uh, the existence of God changes everything, right? Absolutely. And, and their reliance on God. And, and I don't think for this every makes- need. Every, Every need. And daily I don't bread. Think, yes. I don't right, think we necessarily need to feel badly about that. Like, I'm not like, oh, so therefore I should do this. But there is a danger, right? There is something to what Jesus said to the church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation when he called them lukewarm. Right, like, right. When your faith matters to your day-to-day existence, the ability to be lukewarm is not there. <laughs> like, it doesn't exist. But for us, I really do think one of the hardest questions that somebody once posed to me was like, how would your life actually look different if God didn't exist? Like what, what would actually be different in your day to day? And, and that's not to say that I don't believe this. Obviously I do, but, but it's, that's a really challenging question. And so going back to your spiritual practices or anything like, 
how do we change that? We live in comfort, even whether, yeah, whether there's people do. in our neighborhood who have greater comfort than us or not. Yeah. Uh, but we live in comfort. So, so what is the actual things that we can be doing? Cause yeah. I'm a guy. I, I like solutions. You want to like some problems. practical handholds here. You know what? Correct. I think one thing we can do, I'm going back to another spiritual practice, but, um, you know, throughout the global church, Christians stop many times throughout the day and they pray the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And, um, and I think that's, it's a simple way. It's one way to set your clock. And when the alarm goes off to just stop and you can pray the Jesus prayer or you can pray something else or just to stop and remember, like, am I relying on God right now? Am I submitting yeah. to the Lordship of Jesus Christ right now? Am I filled with the Holy Spirit right now? Am, and just sort of get in that rhythm. I think sometimes we're afraid of things like that because it feels like, oh, it's legalistic or it's inauthentic. But really these rhythms of grace, you know, remind us who we are in Jesus and help us just be mindful of God throughout the day. That's one. Do you have any other suggestions? I do think this is going to sound very youth groupy, right? Like I do think finding very like almost making yourself do things or put yourself in positions where you are in places where you are uncomfortable. Mm, that's good. That's good. Whether Brian. it's uh, whether it's in my generosity, being generous to people in a in a uncomfortable way or, you know, sharing my faith or going right. into situations with people that make me uncomfortable. Yep. I do think here in in our context, sometimes we have to manufacture uncomfortableness, not in, in not like you said, in an inauthentic way, but in a way that makes me go, gosh, I do. I, I, I really need to rely on God for this. Like he needs to step in here because I do know there's people out there where you're like, nope, I, I have to rely on wonderful like that's that amen you you got to come on the show and teach us your ways <laughs> for many of us i just i wanted to start the show there because that phrase practical atheism has really been just ringing in my head mm. since we had this discussion is this going to be your sermon on sunday brian it's uh, i mean i'm already done with my sermon. oh okay wow out, I'm sure, no i'm not <laughs> <laughs> no i am not so maybe maybe it'll sneak its way in well wanted to start there i wonder what you think about practical atheism as well hopefully you're as challenged Challenged as we are by it. Well, coming up next, Andrew Walker, author of a new book called Liberty for All, Defending Everyone's Religious Freedom in a Pluralistic Age. Andrew's going to join us next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us. Uh, and we are thrilled to be joined uh, by the author of a new book called Liberty for All. It actually hasn't come out yet, coming out later on in May, called Liberty for All, Defending Everyone's Religious Freedom in a Pluralistic Age. Uh, his name is Andrew Walker. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, guys, it's great to be with you. And thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Hey, Andrew, before we dive into this book that looks super timely and really interesting. Mm -hmm. But before we dive into the book, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit? Sure. So um, as I said, my name is Andrew Walker, and I'm a professor of Christian ethics uh, at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary here in Louisville, Kentucky. And like the title suggests, I teach ethics and some apologetics related issues. And then I also run an on-campus think tank called the Carl F.H. Henry Center for Evangelical Engagement. Wow. And so um, my kind of career and calling is ethics and public theology hmm. and contending for the issues in the public square that we think are true, not only because we're Christians, but because we think that what is true for Christians is true for everyone. Wow. And 
um, the common good and human flourishing are at stake and we've got to show up and um, serve our neighbor by speaking truthfully. Mm. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I love that you threw out the common good in there, too. Thank you <laughs> right, for that, right. Andrew. <laughs> Andrew, the title of your new book coming out on May 4th is Liberty for All, Defending Everyone's Religious Freedom in a Pluralistic Age. Love that title. Love that topic. Why did you decide to write it? Sure. So, you know, to, to be totally forthcoming, this is an adaptation of my dissertation, oh. um, which mean which meaning that it's it's not it's an adaptation, so it's not as boring. As <laughs> it's not as boring. This is the user-friendly so, version. This is a user-friendly <laughs> edition. That's exactly right. Uh, and so, the, you know, the, the biggest onus for writing this is religious liberty is an embattled concept in American culture. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, in fact, I would say almost 100% of the time when the idea of religious liberty comes up, um, it's it's politicized. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it's, it's thought of as more or less... Uh, a, a political idea that was born of history's hmm. um, understanding of, of how the bad ways that religion and politics have interacted. Hmm. So then we get this idea called the First Amendment. But all that to say, most people think that religious liberty is purely a constitutional idea hmm. or it's a legal idea. And so the whole purpose of this book is to set forth kind of an evangelical argument to demonstrate that religious liberty is not simply a contingency of history that it, a philosophy, a philosophy of religious liberty is actually tied to central core tenets of our beliefs mm. as Christians. Mm. Um, and I'll just briefly state, you know, uh, you take the issues of eschatology, you take the issues of anthropology, you take the issues of missiology. Um, and I know those are big, fancy words that we often say here in seminary. But all that to say, all three of those categories are implicated Right. When we talk about religious liberty wow. and no one has ever really um, strived to make those connections apparent and and demonstrate what they are. And so that's what I tried to do is to say yeah. that this is not simply an accident. Um, we as Christians ought to be principally committed to religious liberty, not simply out of an interest of serving our interest as Christians, but actually because it's true of the age that we live in yeah. where um, people come to different conclusions about ideology and religion. Mm-hmm. And I actually think God has given us the tools to figure out how to live peaceably with one another, mm-hmm. despite this, despite deep disagreement. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really great. Andrew, I, I want to go way more foundational, way down to the core. How would you, as someone who's thought so much about this, like the term religious liberty, the term religious freedom get thrown around a lot, like you said, right. in politics and the news. How would you just boil it down and define for somebody li- religious liberty or religious freedom? Yeah, it's it's hard to, to make an academic boil something down. To <laughs> so I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, so to me, religious liberty is a simple truth that says, individuals are are striving to make meaning of their lives mm. in authentic ways hmm. um, and people come to grasp truths uh, voluntarily in order to make meaning of their lives and then people desire to live those truths out uh, in every aspect of their lives now notice that definition um, it could apply to both religious and non-religious persons right um, because every single person religious or not, is, is attempting to um, align themselves with what they believe ultimate truth is, um, to live authentically in relationship to it, uh, and then to live that out in all aspects of their lives. And Christians and non-Christians 
all do that. Right. Uh, and so religious liberty is, is merely the idea. It, it reflects the truth of human nature that we are trying to live authentic lives. Now, that, that's not to say that we agree or treat as relative all people's understanding of truth certainly, and religion. Certainly. Not at all. But, but if, we, if we understand that people are trying to make meaning of their lives, and some people are going to believe wrongly, mm-hmm. uh, we then have to ask the question, okay, if people believe wrongly about religion or some aspects of morality, uh, at what point does the government have a responsibility to step in and restrict someone's religious liberty? Now, right. now I will say religious liberty is not an absolute right in all instances. You can't mm-hmm. do everything you want under the rubric of religion right. or morality. But the beauty of religious liberty is that it, it, it makes it the burden of the government to prove why it should restrict your religious liberty rather than you trying to appeal mm. to the government for your own re- religious liberty. Mm. So it's it's a it's a it's a big question of of who has the default authority right, right. In, in life. Is it the government or is it someone possessing a conscience, using their reason, yeah. uh, trying to live a free life? Yeah, this is so interesting, Andrew. Um, I'm, I, you know, I'm thinking about the the listener who may have heard a, an evangelical leader, or a different church leader, Christian leader, say that perhaps defend, allowing other people to defend their religious beliefs that aren't Christians is maybe somehow defending idolatry or or right, defending sin. Right. What would you say to that listener? Well, I would say that's that's mistaken um, on a couple levels. I would say first off, religious liberty is never uh, about defending someone's right to sin hmm. um, or defending false belief, um, because and this is it's in the book. It's a it's a complicated argument. We don't have time for it today, but people have political rights to be wrong. Um, they don't have ultimate rights to be wrong before God, hmm. um, and so God. Which is why I, I say in the book, religious liberty is not an ultimate right. At some point in in the future, there will not be a, a right to religious liberty because God is going to judge. Right, right. Um, he's going to he's going to bring judgment. Um, so religious liberty is speaking to a political legal reality, not an ultimate metaphysical theological reality. So I think there's that aspect. I think it's also mistaken um, when we understand what religious liberty is. Um, as far as kind of the mechanics of religious liberty itself, religious liberty is not defending the merits of everyone's convictions or their re- or their religion. What religious liberty is concerned about doing is defending the faculty of the conscience or defending the faculty of the mind and how the mind comes to understand certain truths and then to live in response to hmm. certain truths. Hmm. So again, I, I know we're splitting hairs here, but it's a really important yeah. uh, thing to separate. Yeah. We're not defending the merits. We're defending the rights of conscience. That's good. And the conscience and how it understands what truth is. That's good. That's really good. Again, the new book is called Liberty for All, Defending Everyone's Religious Freedom in a Pluralistic Age. And Andrew, thanks so much for staying with us. I guess uh, what I want to ask is we feel I feel like we read stories all the time that religious liberty, religious freedom is under attack, like we're losing Hmm. it in our culture. Do you agree with that? And if so, what do you see going on out there culturally right now? Yeah, I think no doubt religious liberty um, is is very, very endangered at the cultural level. And I can come back to that. But at the same time, um, very interestingly, at the 
at the legal level, um, mm-hmm. when you look at various court rulings and especially um, the, the current Supreme Court makeup, um, there, there have been a lot of really strong constitutional rulings pertaining to religious liberty. Um, but I would say that that's not enough because uh, if religious liberty is endangered in the culture, that means there's a cultural shift taking place. And over time and over decades, uh, if that cultural shift continues, those who have a growing lack of familiarity with religious liberty will then will then someday be the ones occupying the Supreme Court themselves. Hmm. So religious liberty is only as secure as is the culture behind it. Interesting. And when you look at the culture, um, you know, a, a, a poll came out um, a couple weeks ago saying that church attendance and um, mosque attendance and synagogue attendance is actually at the lowest level it's ever been yeah. at, since it's been recorded. Um, and so that actually has a lot of impact on religious liberty because it means, uh, on the one hand, still about half of Americans identify as somewhat religious, half of Americans don't. And that means there's growing, there's a growing secularity alongside perhaps a growing religiosity. And what that means uh, culture is, is apt for is just continued conflict over the place of religion um, and and non-religious viewpoints in society. And so you can look, um, I mean, World Magazine uh, every single week puts out kind of a, a new email of all the areas where religious liberty has been implicated. And I, I study this for a living and I can't even keep up wow. with all of the issues wow. happening in society. I mean, this summer, the Supreme Court is going to rule on a monumentally significant case pertaining to whether Catholic adoption agencies can continue to live according to their 2,000-year-old convictions in the, hmm. in the city of Philadelphia. Hmm. Um, so that's just one example. Uh, we have, you know, many of us are familiar with the Cake Baker case in right. Colorado with right. Jack Phillips. Well, Jack Phillips is under litigation again uh, because someone wanted him to make a uh, gender identity transition cake and he wouldn't make it, hmm. um, which it's interesting to me. I should just add as a side note, um, we're often told that, you know, it's conservative Christians that are all about the culture war. Yeah. But oftentimes what I'm noticing, it's actually often more progressives that's that are the culture war aggressive. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, a lot of times Christians just want to be left alone and to, to live in accordance with how their institutions have been um, conducted for the last 2000 years. Right. Uh, but it's at odds with a, a new growing orthodoxy around often sexuality and gender. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's really not any encouraging uh way to resolve that at the cultural level. In fact, it seems to be only getting worse, yeah. which which is why, sadly, we have to defer to the Supreme Court to make these decisions mm. rather than rather than work them out legislatively through Congress or through local state legislatures. Andrew, I, I want to um, take it down to sort of the the person listening who wants to do something, maybe just got fired up about what you said and is like, hey, I, I, I want to call my representatives or I want to lead a small group on this. Or uh, what would you advise just sort of the everyday churchgoer, not in academia, but is maybe passionate about this? Uh, what would you advise them to do? I would say to, um, you know, check out a few books on this subject uh, by by. There are accessible volumes, not just on religious liberty, but essentially the Christian's place in in politics. I think they should try to plug in with organizations like the Beckett Fund, uh, like Alliance Defending Freedom. Um, You know, if you do something as simply as uh, sign up for their newsletters or observe them on social media, 
um, that's a really important thing to at least stay informed. Um, and the encouraging thing is, if people do want to stay informed, we have top tier organizations like ADF and Beckett that are dying for advocates and warriors to come to their defense. Hmm. Uh, you know, if if religious liberty is not retrieved in each generation, uh, essentially the the flower gets cut off from the root, hmm. and you have a, a growing lack of familiarity with your own nation's traditions. Right. And you know, religious liberty is a uh, concept as old as the Constitution itself. Um, it's not really the Christian conservatives that have moved on the religious liberty issue. It's the broader culture wow. and broader legal movements that have abandoned what used to be a bipartisan consensus. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, I'd love to end this way. Um, you've basically answered this question, but I'd love to just have you do it one more time. Uh, there's a You hear this a lot in the church, like, hey, we, the church shouldn't be political. We should mm, just yeah. preach the gospel mm. and yep. not worry about politics. As somebody like yourself who is all about engagement and, and just in the middle of it, how would you answer that critique from, you know, the people that may believe that in our churches? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely love that question. Um, so here's here's how I would answer that is if your religion teaches that there are objective moral truths or objective moral obligations, um, then your religion is necessarily going to become to some degree cultural and political. Hmm. Um, so there's there's a a way in which um, if we if we devalue the ethical norms of Christianity, that we're actually um, rejecting a responsibility that we have to share these truths and norms with the world. Um, so you take you take an uh, an issue like marriage. Christians believe that um, marriage is the union of one man and one woman. Mm -hmm. We believe that obviously because Scripture teaches that in Genesis chapter one and two. Right. But we also understand that Genesis chapter one and two is teaching a universal creational truth that all persons. Uh, whether you're um, Muslim, atheist, whatever, if if you are a, a male or a female, you meet the criteria to get married. Mm. Uh, proper marriage criteria is not based on proper theological belief. It's right. based on whether or not you're male or female. Right. And, and why do we know that matters? Well, because we know that society understands marriage and family to be at the very cornerstone of its foundations. And where family and marriage collapse, um, you have human wreckage and, and human despair follow. Yeah. And so, you know, all of a sudden I, I just brought this marriage issue up and that's a really contentious issue in our society. Um, the, the biggest question we have to ask though is not, is it contentious? It is. The biggest question is, is it true? Mm. And does it lead to human flourishing? Hmm. And if it is, then necessarily we ought to be willing to proclaim that and not be embarrassed about yeah, it. I mean, that's, that's one good. of the things that I'm constantly telling my students is, if we believe the scriptures, uh, it means the scriptures are speaking true things. True things are always good things. And you have an obligation to be um, prophetic and courageous mm. in, in telling the truth about these things, not to be embarrassed about it. Now, obviously, it could be met with conflict. Certainly. Uh, but guess what? Conflict is a normal part of this life. Yeah. Share <laughs> the truth. There you go. That's you a, go. that's a great word to end on. Again, Andrew Walker is the associate professor of Christian ethics at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, executive director for the Carl F. H. Henry Institute for Evangelical Engagement, and the author of a new book coming out on May the fourth, Liberty for All. 
defending everyone's religious freedom in a pluralistic age. You can learn much more about Andrew at his website, andrewtwalker.com. That's andrewtwalker.com. Andrew, this was wonderful, man. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. I made a Facebook post last night about you choosing Blossom as the best late <gasps> I didn't possible. see that. Did you tag me? You didn't tag me in it, Brian. I did. Well, I, what, what am I doing wrong? Go you on Facebook. You did not tag me in it. Okay, I'll check that out because I, I got it. Yeah, that'll get some traction. Okay, you, you, you've you got the social media following, so you go do something with it. I'm the old one here, so I probably did something wrong. <laughs> you did. I'm sure you did, Brian. I don't think I did. Like, I put your name in it. And, uh, anyway. It's... Oh, okay, let's see. We'll, we'll, we'll figure that out later. <laughs> Hold on just a second while I do that. No, I'm just kidding. It makes for good radio. If everybody could just wait. <laughs> could everyone pause a second? We have something to do. <laughs> well, that was in yesterday's top five list. If we were doing a top five list today, which we are not, and we went with top five most quoted people on the show, Scott saw. Would be the number one answer to that. Uh, he is a pastor in te- uh, Nashville, Tennessee, Christ Presbyterian Church, I believe it's called. Also, the author of many great books, been on the show a couple times. I believe he's going to be on in the coming week or two here. <gasps> that is so exciting. I can't yep. wait for that day. Uh, but also, he blogs regularly at scottsalls.com. That's scottsalls.com. I'd encourage you to go there. He put out a blog post uh, just this past week called Can Christianity Become Beautiful Again? Mm, wow. uh, it's, it's short. So let me just read some of it for us. And I, and I just want it to be a challenge and an encouragement to us. So let me read some of it. He says, fact. Christianity, true Christianity, the kind that Jesus introduced through his life, death, resurrection, and moral vision, never stopped being beautiful. Hmm. Fact, anything that calls itself Christianity, but that is ugly, judgy, abusive, or abrasive is not true Christianity. Wow. It's a counterfeit of the worst kind and of the highest order. And then thirdly, he says, fact, we have some work to do. To reclaim Jesus' true, always life-giving, and never life-sucking way. <laughs> oh, wow. So let's just stop with those three facts right there. He says, mm. true Christianity never stopped being beautiful. Anything that's ugly, judgy, abusive, and abrasive is not true Christianity. Wow. It's a counterfeit and that we have a lot of work today to do. You're giving me some wows here. Tell me what's going on as you I mean, read here I, from Scott I Salt. just think, you know, it's it, these are such powerful statements, right? Like, yes, the, the gospel, Jesus, our, this story that we have said is our story, his life, his death, his resurrection, his vision for the world, and his return. I would add that as well are so beautiful. Yeah. And that what we've talked about here before is just sometimes we get them, we get the message, we get the faith wrapped up in all these trappings and that's our own sinfulness, right? Like I am not above being ugly, judgy, abusive, or abrasive. And the ironic part is that, you know, I am quick to also judge other people that are being ugly, judgy, abusive, (laughs) abrasive. Like, and I, I think that here's the, here's the challenge where he says we have to do some work. And I think I'm to the point now where I'm like, okay, Lord, what is the work? Like, I don't know how to do it well. I know we're going to sort of fumble forward in this, but I long for Christianity to be beautiful for Christians 
and for non-Christians as well. I think sometimes we forget that like we have a good God who loves people. And so often it seems like the message we're portraying or hearing is that God hates people. That's and right. I I want to get better. I want to get better at at doing this work. What yeah, do you think, Brian? Well, you just reminded me that when when you read the Gospels, who were the people who flocked to Jesus and mm. who were the people that Jesus fought with? Right. And the people who flocked to him are not necessarily the same people flocking to our churches today. That's true. And so that just reminds us, and I don't say that, I say that about my own church, right? Right, like mine that, too, yeah. That reminds us that there obviously is uh, is work to do uh, yeah, I think this is so good. I, I I love to go to Saul's. I love to go to the end of what he has to say. He says, contemporary secular observers are also taking note of how Christ, Orthodox Christian belief in its purest form spawns beautiful lives. Wow. New York Times writer Nicholas Kristof, an avowed agnostic, has written at least twice on how Christians are the first to come, the last to leave, and have the deepest pockets in, at, at every time he covers poverty natural disasters, or some horrific event. That's awesome. Gay activist Shane Windemeyer, so moved by the kindness, humility, and friendship of Christian businessman Dan Cathy, uh, quote, came out as a friend in the Huffington Post of the man whose business he used to protest. Or closer to home, there's the abortion provider who recently told a member of our church, that being Scott Sauls, mm -hmm. I want your God, whoever he or she or it is, to be my God. Wow. He closes this way. I don't know about you, but this is the kind of orthodoxy I want. Mm. Beautiful orthodoxy, the kind that electrifies the light so lovely, the kind that gives a tired, sometimes cynical world a reason to pause and consider and to start wishing it was true. Uh, such Man, good I words. Tweet from that. that is just beautiful. Yeah, but I think his point is such an, uh, a powerful one that uh, – that sometimes in our culture, especially where everybody's your enemy who doesn't agree with you mm -hmm. and everything's about, you know, how loud can I scream mm -hmm. that, that in reality, actually, the, the Christian life lived out uh, with some consistency and authenticity is so different that it's a light in darkness. And it even causes people who are like, I, I don't agree with. I don't even know if I believe saying. God is real. You're against my lifestyle. But yeah, this is so compelling. This is so beautiful. Exactly. And, and, and I wonder what it would take for the church. If you could see me, I know it's a radio, so it's an audio medium, but I'm giving you air quotes. If the church uh, was able to be this again, rather mm. than, um, Rather than give me my rights, I'm going to mm. tell you why you're wrong. Mm. You're going to burn in hell. All these kinds of things. I just wonder, like, what do you think? Paint a picture for people what this beautiful orthodoxy, to use Scott Saul's language, could actually look like and, and the difference it would make in our world. I mean, I think sometimes we're sort of afraid that if we love people or if we pour out our lives, if we give generously, then um, then we're, I don't know, we're like uh, choosing I don't know, acceptance of all moralities or, or like if for some reason this has been painted as if uh, it's a bad thing. I don't That's even right. know we're so twisted in this way, but I goodness gracious to think that um, an agnostic, a gay activist and this abortion provider are saying, look, there is something beautiful when Christians actually follow Jesus in their purest form. Yes. Oh, that God would give us the grace to come back to that. Like, oh, that God would inspire us and remind us of, I, I think what we need, 
Brian, is to remember the depth of love that God has shown us in Jesus Christ again and again and again. So that that becomes the natural instinct and outflow of all that we do. And that's easier said than done, but but Lord Jesus, help us. Yeah, I would close it this way. One of the things I say to our church often is that the fuel for living this out is not guilt and it's not you Mm. should do this. It's the awe of what you've been given, the love and grace you've been shown by That's Jesus good, Christ. Like that just kind of fuels us. So love what Scott Sauls has to say. Uh, and I was just reminded by our producer, he's going to be on this Monday, uh, April the 19th. Scott <gasps> is going to join us. So I can't I'm sure wait this for that. One of the things we'll talk about, but we just love having Scott on the show. Well, we're glad that you're joining us today here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, will we ever go back to hugs after COVID-19? And then we're going to look at an article that talks about the first and most broken commandment. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Aubrey, we we turn one week old today as a show. Pretty good, huh? Oh, it's our birthday. We should have a party every Wednesday. Every week. (laughs) Every Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) That feels like it might be a bit excessive. That's a little excessive. uh, Yeah, even I'll admit to that. Maybe on the first Wednesday. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Hey, did you catch up on American Idol, by the way? I got caught up on American Idol, and there was some... Okay, you were right. Luke Bryan had COVID. He was out. Paula well, He had COVID. I, could, I couldn't... Well, I didn't remember if he had it or if someone near him I'm had trying it. to say if they said he had it or if he was just out because of COVID. So clearly, mm-hmm. either he had it or he was around it. And so Paula Abdul stepped in, which was interesting because she's kind of a throwback to the show. And then this was the craziest one. There's a singer named Wyatt. I can't remember his last name. Yes, yes. But so talented and so gifted and like clearly was going to be at least one of the top ones, if not, you know, the top one. And all of a sudden gone. No reason, no explanation. Just he had to leave. There's nothing on social media. I even tweeted like, hey, you know, people tell me what's going on. And no one has information. So that feels a little interesting. He, made a, he made a very mysterious Instagram post. Uh, mm. I did read that. Uh, there is. Let's just say there's more to the story. I'm sure it'll come out. It's. Oh, I hope it comes out. I don't know why I care so much, but I want to know. Yeah, seriously. And man, I really wish I, I, we were talking. Were you and I talking about this the other day that why the ratings are so down on American Idol? I think it's because no one's ever mean anymore. Oh, you were saying because there's not a Simon Cowell anymore and people liked watching his anger. See, and I like it for the other reason. I'm like, oh, they're so positive and encouraging. I want to be judged by Katy Perry. <laughs> I, <wanna be> ju- <laughs> I want her to tell me all the ways I'm magical. <laughs> it's like the days now where the, where the man or the woman or the guy or the girl comes on who are just awful and they're like, you know, you really put your heart into it. I'm like, no, tell them what you really mean. <laughs> they really... You know, it's funny because as it gets smaller, dwindles down, they do start getting like a little bit like last night. Katie was like, yeah, I can tell you're I mean, I'm watching old episodes, so it wasn't on last night. But yeah, I can tell you're 15 at this one. <laughs> last week it seemed like you were older. This one, you're 15. But then she'll turn it positive and be like, but keep on going because you've you know, you sparkle or whatever. <laughs> it always ends like the person. Anyway, the person who comes on who is like meant to be a train wreck and they'll be like, I really like your courage. Great enthusiasm. <laughs> like, just say what you mean. Just right. You're not a fit for American Idol. We all know it. <laughs> Okay, so I want to get your thoughts here on COVID and what is going to happen when we come out of COVID, regardless of 
you know, there's things going on now, but we all feel like we're coming out of it, right? Like the yes. vaccines or, are, uh, you know, there's the Johnson and Johnson one, notwithstanding, which got paused today, which I still don't understand why it got paused for six cases of clotting in seven million. I'm a million. little confused about that, too. We'll have to see if there are more cases that we just don't know about. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So that got paused. But anyway, the, the Moderna, the Pfizer, they keep rolling out mm-hmm. and more and more people are getting vaccinated more and more people. It just feels like life is kind of returning slowly back to normal. Praise the uh, Lord. The, no matter how much some of our, uh, oh, I'm going to sound like that guy, but I was going to say no matter how much of some of our media wants us to believe it's not because man, I watched the today show this morning. You would think it was last April. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, really? See, oh my gosh. That's so devastating to me. I wish that they would change their tune and just at least let's start celebrating the good things that are happening. Oh, I, I understand day. there are places where the Numbers are still skyrocketing. I mean, you know, you don't want to be naive, but you also, it's not last April. Last April was devastating. Yep. And it, yep. it's a new day. So let's at least like pretend like it is. Yeah. Let's at least celebrate the good things happening and, yeah. and know that we have better ways to deal with it now. And anyway, it's, it's just a different time. And so people are given a lot of thought to what is life going to look like as we come out of this? Mm-hmm. And with that in mind, at NBC News, I read this. Just I'm just going to read for you the headline. Okay. It says, social distancing during COVID means no hugs. My personal space finally feels respected. <laughs> the pandemic has unshackled me from the casual touches that define interpersonal communication for yeah. most people. You go on and read this, and this author is like, not only do I not want to, but I don't think anyone in culture should want to go back to hugs, handshakes, mm-hmm. any of kind of the obligatory stuff that, we were, that we've been doing for all of time, but leading up until COVID. <laughs> and Which, I read wait, this, this is your love language, right? So you're like, no. I'm not, you're not joking. I read this. I was like, there's people who actually feel this way. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm going to handshake and high five everybody. I'm going to be the hugging guy. I don't know. Do, do you feel like this is this is what some people are feeling like? Hey, I'm good with the space we've kind of set now. Let's just kind of keep this from now till kingdom come. Well, so I have a very good friend who before, I mean, one of my closest friends. And before COVID, she was already like that, you know, the moment in church when you turn and shake hands, she was like, nope. Sometimes she would come to church late on purpose to mm-hmm. skip that hand sanitizer with her everywhere she went. And uh, the hugging thing, like, definitely was not interested in that. And partly because she'll say, I'm a germaphobe. And she's kind of saying it tongue in cheek, but she's like, I don't know where you've been. I don't know where your hands have been. And the truth, I think handshaking, come on. Like, yeah. we got to get back to handshaking. I, I'm a hugger, which is probably not okay because I need to, like, you need to ask for consent. Really, not everyone wants a hug. So I think that's totally fair. But there's a part of me that feels like, we are soldiers. We have been in war for the past <laughs> yeah. year and we need to get out of the, you know, the foxhole and celebrate, hug and high five. And just like we made it through this crazy, crazy thing. And so let's like I want that like New York City parade where the soldier and the gal are kissing and the ticker tapes <laughs> going everywhere. Like, that's what I want. OK, what do you think? That's so funny. You got to be honest. When I when I read uh, someday here, we'll talk to Dallas Jenkins again about how he put the chosen together. When mm-hmm. I picture what times were like with Jesus, every time Jesus is telling a story in my mind, he has his arm around the disciples. Oh, <laughs> like, that's nice. Just, yeah. Come here, just... Peter. Come here, Peter. <laughs> 
get over here, little, little knucklehead. Like he's just always <laughs> constantly like poking him and got his hand around Giving him, him noogies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've shared this with you. It's at the top of the list of what I miss most about church is just the hugs and the handshakes yeah. and, the, and the say goodbye to people. But this author here, it is something worth thinking about. She says... While I long for the day that the pandemic will disappear like a thief into the night, I fervently hope that this deeper respect for physical boundary stays with us. Wow. I got to be honest. I don't ever. And you kind of touched on it because you were like, maybe I should start asking if people want to hug. I never think in those terms. And yes. you like, people could be like, that's going to get you in trouble. It is. I mean, I will say, Brian, especially, I mean, this may be a double standard, but you're a man and you're a pastor. Like, you got to ask about the hugs. How do you, okay, walk me through that. Non-COVID time, <laughs> non-COVID time, persons, yes. re, you see them regularly at church. I'm not talking yeah. about this visitor who just walked in. Okay, not a rando. I don't want to make it seem like I'm just walking around our lobby like, hug me. <laughs> this is not the case at all. Like, I, I've got I've got some social, uh, some social, like, yeah. norm. I know how this okay, works. Okay, okay, okay. How does, walk me through, I don't want to get myself in trouble here and ask <laughs> a dumb question. So walk me through this. Like, how do you ask for consent? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is awkward. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I just, all I think about is this one guy from our church years ago in a different state. None of our listeners would know who he was. But it's all Kevin. the <laughs> You got me. But all the ladies knew him as the hugging guy. Sorry, uh, that's I'm crazy. not that guy. And they would like run in the different direction because he would do these lingering hugs. And it was, no. but I hear you not doing that. You're doing a friendly pastor hug with people you know. I think, I think. The women are just avoiding you, probably, if they don't want it. <laughs> I think it's more the guys, because I tend to, like, man-hug the guys, too. You know, like, we handshake and come around, and yeah. I think guys are like, what is I, that? I'm a hugger, though, too, Brian, so I gotta, I, I guess I guess we have to just ask people, like, are you a hugger or not? It's okay if you're not. Can and we then, get, like, name tags? Like, yes, get, like, I like, like it. wristbands? <laughs> yeah, yeah, ma your mask. If you're still wearing masks, it could say, like, I'm good with hugging. If you're still wearing masks. So anyway, <laughs> it is going to be interesting as we pull out of the pandemic, what is normal or what has changed since before the pandemic. I found that article very interesting. Coming up next from Desiring God, the headline just says this, the first and most broken commandment. That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Welcome back here to The Common Good, which turns one week old today. Happy birthday um, to us. We are accepting presents and cupcakes. Yes, or at least uh, at least subscriptions to the podcast. That's oh, what I guess you can that's, do for You're us. right. Subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Common Good Talk. What will they find on Instagram? What What do you think uh, if people are like, okay, I'll give it a try? What What kinds of things will they find on our Instagram page? Right. Well, they should find v uh, behind the scenes videos. They should find uh, at one point there was a picture of me in middle school, which you never reciprocated, Brian. They'll I, find I, pictures find and one. quotes from our lovely guests. And, uh, you know, there'll be more to come. It's going to be a fun time over there on Instagram. Yeah, the uh, the top five list we did yesterday, by the way, of uh, of top five TV yes. shows from when we were younger, like late eighties. Yes, uh, my wife loves you, and she could not come to agree with you on Blossom. <gasps> oh, I feel so sad about that. that's like the first kink in our relationship. <laughs> what was her What was her number one? 
I don't think she said, but I just I shared with her. I'm like, she, she said, was just she like, chose, no. I said of all the shows, she chose <laughs> Blossom, and there was this look of disappointment. Of like like I just let her down. Okay, well we'll try it again, like in a few months, and see if something new rises to the top. But that needs to be on Instagram. I think our top ten or our top fives. Each of our top fives, yes, I think that would be a good idea. Okay, we're we're just uh, we're spitballing here on the air, just doing so. some creative, yeah, brainstorming here in front of you all. Exactly, exactly. Okay, we talked a little bit about uh, this concept earlier, but uh, Sinclair Ferguson wrote at the uh, de- at Desiring God, DesiringGod.org, the first and most broken commandment. And I just want to read the beginning of it. I think this this really uh, Tim Keller went all in on this, right? With um, Oh, gosh, what was the name of his book? Um, Counterfeit Gods Mm -hmm. was his book. And so kind of the same concept. Uh, Ferguson writes this. John Newton of Amazing Grace fame. Man, what a title for that. I'm Amazing Grace fame. Uh, he He once shrewdly wrote to a correspondent that a misunderstanding of the law of God lies at the root of most mistakes in the Christian life. Many of the spiritual masters have agreed with him. That explains why as much as 30 to 40 percent of the reformed catechisms are devoted to an exposition of the Ten Commandments. What did they understand that we fail to grasp? Much. (laughs) After hearing the law through their ears will help us greatly as we consider the first commandment of the Ten. You shall have no other gods before me. He's going to go on and basically say that the commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, is not just the first commandment, but it's basically the uh, the commandment that all other commandments come out of. Sure, sort of the foundation for all of the other commandments. Yes. Yeah. And I'll never forget, I believe I was in Wheaton uh, at uh, in an Old Testament class when a prof basically said this, when he basically said uh, that you could take the do not have any idols before me or no other gods before me, and that it not only... Uh, is the umbrella under which the rest of the commandments come. But he basically said it's the commandment under which the rest of the Bible comes. Wow. <laughs> idea wow. Of idol worship. And once you start looking through that lens, you're kind of like, man, it's everywhere. Kind of this idea of idol worship. So most of us think of idol worship as like, hey, I'm good with that one. I don't have a golden calf in my backyard. <laughs> right, I don't right. have I'm not bowing statue. down to a statue. Yeah. Right. I don't have some statue, but... Uh, what are your thoughts or help us understand not just the importance of this uh, commandment against idol worship, uh, but what it looks like now, why yeah. it's so dangerous in our culture now? You know, what I think is interesting is uh, early Christians in the New Testament, when they decided to start following this way of Jesus, they would actually renounce any idols that they would worship. That was part of their conversion and part of even their baptism. So they would, before their, you know, their temple or before their community, they would say, I renounce X, Y, Z, whatever God they were worshiping. Wow. And um, I do I think it's interesting that that we've lost that. We don't do that tradition really at all. Now, certainly we repent, certainly we turn from our sins, but we don't necessarily publicly acknowledge the things or the gods or the people that we have been worshiping. And I wonder if that would be a really powerful practice to get back to as the church. But obviously, when we think about idols today, Tim Keller asked some fantastic questions. I I am not going to quote him verbatim, but some of the things that he's instructed just me in my personal relationship with the Lord is like, what are the things or the, yeah, the things in your life that if you lost them, it would make you question everything you believe about God. 
Yeah. What are the things that you feel like if you had them, then you would finally have arrived at, you know, wholeness or enoughness or whatever it is. What are the things that you spend most of your time thinking about? And then this is a big one. This is a heart check for me. What are the things that you spend your money on? What does most of your money go to? And all of those things are likely idols and need to be put in their proper place before the Lord. What do you say to people that you pastor about this issue? Yeah, I think you you kind of nailed it there because uh, it's really hard to preach a message or talk about idols because as I said earlier, people just go to the, uh, I don't have the statues or whatever else, but man, in our culture, uh, I think things like money is is a huge idol. But yeah. I also think like things like our children are idols, mm-hmm. right? Like what are the things that we hold up? Success and uh, power or or position, whatever else it might be, and I think Keller's words there that you talked about are are hugely instructive. Of if I were to lose this, then I would, you know, I'd give up on God, or right. I would whatever else. I think that is functionally your idol. He talks a lot about functional idols, like hmm, what are or functional gods. What are functionally my gods? Because none of us would say I worship. Uh, you know, my kids or I worship. <laughs> right, right. Know, uh, but think about the time and, and the things that we do. Or I worship money. But then think about the amount of time we think we, we spend thinking, thinking about, about money. It. Yeah. Uh, and, and oh, gosh, who said it? It wasn't Keller, but somebody who said the uh, like the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. Mm. Like we're constantly doing this. And I guess that becomes the real question. How do we live this out? And that's right. one of the hard questions we asked earlier. Like, how do you actually live this out? When we were talking about practical atheism, I think it was earlier. Mm-hmm. How do we take idols off the throne metaphorically and put God back on the throne? Because I don't think anyone out there listening is like, yeah, I don't really want to worship God. I want to worship other things. <laughs> right. No one wants to really it, in your heart of hearts. Do you want to cling to your idols? Yeah. But the question becomes, uh, how do we uh, how do we identify the idols mm. and how do we deal with them? What would you think about that? What do you think about that? I mean, you know, it's interesting because I think there are there are some regular reoccurring idols in my life, and I think for a lot of us, we are like tempted by the same things, or our hearts are prone to wander towards the same direction. And you know, whether it's something we're addicted to, or something we're sort of tempted by, or something just our heart really, really likes. I mean, that's the crazy thing about idolatry; it's not always like drug addiction certainly yeah. is um but sometimes it can be i don't know, like you said your children is a great example and um so i feel like i don't have a great answer for this except this if you feel the check in your spirit that is the holy spirit saying hey hey follower of jesus hey little one <laughs> you know hey son or daughter This thing is taking up more space than it ought to in your life. Let's surrender it back to God and allow him to take care of it. And I also, you know, I'm going to get real spiritual here, Brian, but, you know, let's not forget that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but Mm -hmm. it is against principalities and powers of darkness. And the reality is that the enemy wants nothing more than to take like gods of sex and power and money and get us focused on those things. And so I do think there's some like spiritual battle to be done around this too. Yeah, absolutely. The article ends this way, quote, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, And then he writes, 
it would not be such a bad idea to print out these words on a small card, insert your name on it, and refer to it frequently, would it? Mm. <laughs> so wow. I, I think that's a good word. That's a very practical way to go, okay, I want to combat this. So uh, give us what you think about that. You go to our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Common Good uh, Talk. Well, one of the ways to combat one of our biggest idols of uh, of busyness is something we want to talk about, the spiritual discipline of Sabbath. We're going to talk about Sabbath and what are, what are our thoughts about it coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us on this Wednesday afternoon. Hope you're having a great day. Sometimes uh, we talk about newsy things on here and other things, but pastoral, you're a pastor, you're at Renewal Church in West Chicago. Yesterday I said in Chicago, but in West Chicago. Right. Uh, I am a pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. Uh, and so we do want to bring up spiritual disciplines or pastoral thoughts, uh, but sometimes us pastors can put stuff out there like, hey, I do this really well, so I want to tell you how, why you should do it better. Uh, and every now and then we'll bring up stuff going, Hey, I do this terribly. <laughs> I am so bad at this. Do not follow but, my example, <laughs> but we're going to wrestle with it anyway. And that uh, is a segue into the topic of Sabbath. So Jerry Newcomb at the Christian post wrote, uh, the Sabbath is the Sabbath, a gift from God. Uh, and so, uh, let me just ask you not only, uh, I, I don't want to ask you, what would you tell people? Why should they take a sure. Sabbath? What okay. should it look like? How are you with just whether it be formal Sabbath or just this idea of a break and a rest? How do you, Aubrey Sampson, do at this? So I am terrible at a formal Sabbath. I'm okay. not going to lie. Like, I just don't, you know, I have friends who will like, okay, they, everyone turns, everyone in the family turns in their phone in a basket on Friday night. They don't pull them out again until like Saturday night or Sunday morning, depending on when they practice their Sabbath. And they spend a lot of time out in nature and having food and they're very intentional about it. I am not. I will tell you, I love rest and I love breaks. <laughs> and so I have done things like last summer during the pandemic, I um, went off social media for, I mean, two weeks and then went to my parents' lake house for part of that time by myself wow. to work on my book and to research and to pray and to go on walks. And um, that was the first time I've sort of Sabbathed, to be honest. And it was wonderful. Yes, <laughs> and yes. so I, uh, yeah, I am pro, pro Sabbath. I mean, that sounds so silly. Of course, we should all be Sabbathing as Christians. But um, I have not been good at it, uh, like most Americans are not. And I, it was great. It was great to do. Okay, what about you? Well, I'm 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 awesome at this, and so, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, "Wow, okay, keep telling me more, Brian." Yeah, no, and I have had seasons. I remember, uh, I I remember back how about ten years ago where I was really good at like on Monday. Not only am I not going to work, but mm -hmm. I'm going to read, and I'm not going to have my phone. All of this kind of stuff. And now I would say, like you said, more of the formal Sabbath. I'm terrible at, like, yeah. Because even when I've got, quote unquote, downtime, I'll still fill it with my phone yes. or get on my computer uh, or other things. And for some people, that's restful. For me, it's not. Right. Uh, but I will still do it. Uh, and, and here's where I struggle, because like you, the times in my life where I have taken long stretches of just kind of unplugging, uh, 
have been wonderful. And right. It's never not good. Right. <laughs> and so if we know that it's a biblical principle, okay, that, you know, his whole point of this article is that it's a gift from God. It's mm-hmm. not a burden. It's mm-hmm. a gift. Yeah. If we know that it allows us to realize that we're not about what we do, but it's about who we are, right? We're human. Ian used to say we're human beings, not human doings. Right. Uh, and we really enjoy it when we do these types of things. We find it invigorating. You could see the obvious question. Why, why? are we so bad? At <laughs> don't you think it's a sort of a sin problem, right? That we think we're gods. And so we don't have to do what God has called us to do. And we can't accept it as a gift because our human, I feel like it's just Paul. Like I don't do the things I want to do. I do the things I don't want to do. Like, it's just <laughs> like, this is why we need Jesus, because we become gods into ourselves. And that's one thing about Sabbath is you stop and you go, oh, I am not God. Therefore, right. I am not going to accomplish right now. I am not going to try to uh, get stuff done. I'm going to trust that the Lord has given me enough time in the day. He is faithful. He is all powerful. He's going to do it. And I mean, I think sometimes what we forget too is like our God Sabbath, he rested. Yes. And so if if God did it, who are we to think we ought not to? But I mean, again, here we are both confessing we're not great at it. Yeah, I remember. Who is it? Oh, I hope I attribute it to the right person. I believe Kevin DeYoung wrote a book called Crazy Busy. Yes. And the concept is that a lot of us, that's how we answer. Like if you come up to me and, uh, you know, we give that awkward uh, elbow bump that we do in COVID now. And then you said, how are you? Exactly. And you said, how are you doing? So often we say, oh, I'm so busy. Right. Like I'm so busy. And we do that as a badge of honor. Like yeah. I'm so busy, dot, 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 because I'm so important. Or I'm so busy, dot, 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 and you're not <laughs> like that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and that's where it becomes dangerous, right? When we put our identities mm. in, in what we do, what mm. we can accomplish, what other people think about us, then it really is going to be difficult for us to unplug because that's taking us away from what our value is found Who we in. say we are. Yeah. Where, you know, and- Go ahead, ahead, Brian. No, you go. You go. Well, I was just saying, you know, we just did a, we just had a conversation about the Ten Commandments and I'm, I'm sitting here thinking like, is this one of the commandments, one of the instructions to believers that we're just all sort of okay sinning about? Do you know what I mean? Like this feels like Sabbath feels like, especially to Americans, the acceptable sin. Because you're right. We do have those conversations. I'm so busy. I'm doing this, 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 and this. And none of our brothers and sisters are ever like, well, you really should take some time to Sabbath. We just go, oh, yeah, me too. Yes. And, I, you know, I, I think the, the beautiful thing is, of course, we don't have to live under guilt or legalism in Jesus. We are not condemned. But the fact, going back to the article that you were talking about, that Sabbath is a gift. There's a reason for it. It's for our blessing and our flourishing and and our goodness where busyness is just not. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I think that's where we lose track of things. Like you might be like, I'm not super busy, but uh, the question is how often are you, let's use our phones. How often are you not engaged on your Uh, phone? How often are you not engaged on the television? None of those are bad things, but where are the times that you are completely unplugging and spending time with your family? Yeah. One of the times that you're completely unplugging, spending time with the Lord, where you're right. reading and praying right. and right. walking and just enjoying his presence and enjoying his creation, whatever else it might be. Like, if you can't identify those things, then then that's a problem. And you're not understanding the fact that rest, like you said, is not just a commandment, but it is a gift from mm, God. Yeah. Like, 
come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Like I really think at the heart of it, Aubrey, for me is uh, the busier I am, the more important I feel. (laughs) Yeah, right. That's true. I just think as long as we buy into that, as opposed to I'm important because who God made me and uh, I'm his child. Like that's where my importance comes from. I do think deep down, a lot of us, myself included, busyness equals importance. Mm. And as long as that's the case, you are going to struggle with Sabbath. I promise you. <laughs> I think you are totally right about that. You know, uh, just one more thought. I was reading Ephesians this morning where where Paul's talking about how we are we are not children of the slave. We are children of the free woman. And this whole conversation about Sabbath makes me think about the Exodus, right? That God had freed his people from actual slavery brought them into freedom, and then commanded them to take rest. And what a beautiful message that would be to a group of people who for generations had been enslaved. Like now you get to rest. You don't have to slave your life away. You don't have to hustle, hustle, hustle. You don't have to break your backs. I am giving you this gift. And I think maybe we need to remember what a privilege it is that we are not, we are no longer slaves in Jesus. Therefore, we don't have to break our backs trying to earn our identity. We should claim that rest as the gift that it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. This article ends this way. The Sabbath is a gift from the creator, a day of rest for our benefit. We cast it aside at our own peril. I think that's a, that's wow. a good word right there. Yeah. Uh, coming up next, we're going to end the show by talking about another pastor who we love, that being Tim Keller on the church's responsibility in the wake of COVID-19. We're going to have that interesting take from Tim Keller next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us on what's turned into a beautiful yet cool uh, Wednesday afternoon. I don't know, Aubrey, every, anytime I can see blue clouds and sun, I'm not going to complain. In I agree. Green grass, the flowers are blooming. My daffodils in my front and my hostas and my daffodils are starting to come in. So it's it's a good time. I'm just excited to mow the lawn. I have a what? weird love for mowing the lawn. Do you really? Absolutely. Push mow the lawn. My lawn's not that big, but it's big enough that it takes me like an hour and a half or so. Can I ask a follow-up question to this? Yes. Yes. Why? I just love it. I don't know why. Because Okay. I'll give a couple different guesses. Uh, A, it's usually beautiful out. You stick earphones in uh, and you listen to a podcast or something. Uh, I don't do a lot of manual labor in my life, so it feels good to like sweat. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, they always say people who have jobs that are like in front of computers and sitting like to do active things, uh, you know, work things. And people who work with their hands like to sit <laughs> as they're uh, <laughs> right. Right. They like to do. I, I don't know. Like even my son, I taught him how to mow the lawn. So he'll do it sometimes, but I don't let him do it all the time. Sometimes I'm like, nope, I need it. And you know what? It's also alone time. Like, I get that. But- I hear that. You're not on the phone. You're right. not on email. Right. No one's asking your opinion about something right. or asking you to do something. You're just mowing the lawn. You know what? I, I, so I'm not a big, I don't love mowing the lawn, but for tasks like that, what I like is that there's a clear finish. Like you can be like, that's right. I finished that job. Like you accomplished it. It feels good. Uh, that, that sense of like, yeah, being done. I mean, of course you're gonna have to mow the grass next weekend, sure, but I, sure. I like that. 
Are you a gardener then? Like you, oh. you, you listed a bunch of plants. Oh. So are, is that what you like to so do? So I know I'm like my hostas and my daffodils, which are all things that my mom has come and planted here. My mom lives <laughs> in Oklahoma on an acreage and she has such a green thumb. And unfortunately it just, I didn't, I didn't inherit it, but she comes to my house and she helps me. She tells me what to plant and she helps me actually plant them. But I need annuals like I don't nothing I have to like dig up and replant I just wanted to spring up on their own I barely have to water them that's that's the gardening Aubrey Sampson does we have a uh, a single lady who lives across the street from us who works at the Arboretum at the Morton Arboretum. Oh like, wow, she's really? Like that. And if you look at her yard, it is just <gasps> uh, her yard is just filled with beautiful uh, plants. She literally in her small backyard has like a koi pond. Like Come the on, she used to go. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Uh, and so like, once a year, if we're outside and she's outside, we'll be like, "Hey, come look at this." And there have been times she'll be like, <laughs> "We'll be like, I'll be like, look at this flower. This is we're doing a good job." She's like, um. That's a weed. <laughs> <laughs> it has happened. So oh, that's awesome. As long as the weeds are green, I'm good with it. Yeah, you know as long as I mean? they look pretty, then it's fine. Exactly. So it's coming. Spring is coming. Hey, we're going to close the show the way we've been closing a lot of shows recently. And that's trying to give us some challenge or some good news or just some inspiration. And so I wanted to go to yet another pastor who uh, we're, we we both respect. I think we're going to try to get him on the show at some point. Cross I your mean, fingers on that one. Everyone uh, join hands in prayer and pray that this happens. Yes, his name is Tim Keller. Uh, and he wrote, uh, they did an interview and it's entitled this at the Christian Post, Tim Keller on the church's responsibility in the wake of COVID-19. And I think we're all wondering that, right? Like, what is the church going to look like coming out of the pandemic? And I think he says something really interesting. It says, citing the uneven impact of COVID-19 has had on churches across the country, pastor and author Tim Keller has urged churches largely unaffected by the pandemic to partner with those reeling from death, illness, and financial loss. He wow. said, uh, if your community escapes pretty much and in three to four months you're okay, yet some communities you know are hurt economically and there are tons of unemployed people, maybe you could lock arms with a church in a more hurt area. Hmm. I think in the future there will be wa- there will be ways to help, but that won't be obvious for a while. And I wanted to end with this today because here's Aubrey, you know this, and and I think we we're both in churches where we're trying to do this differently, but churches are notorious for being bad at linking arms with other churches. (laughs) For taking care (laughs) of their own, right? Yeah, there's this territorialism. There's this kind of competition that undergirds everything, even within churches. And so I I resonate with what Keller's saying here. I don't know what it looks like, but don't you kind of resonate when Tim Keller's like, hey, look for the churches in the bad er in the areas that have been hurt and hit the hardest. And those of you who have been largely unaffected, go partner with them and Mm -hmm. help them out and and kind of support each other. Isn't that kind of a breath of fresh air even just to read that? This is one thing I love about Keller is he is passionate about the Catholicity of the churches, meaning the unity of the churches, whatever denomination, followers of Jesus, let's come together in unity and build bridges instead of dividing walls, which is something we're passionate about here at the Common Good. And so, yes, I and I mean, and this is very practical, like uh, the churches that are doing well, biblically should, you know, lift up the churches that aren't. And um, right now we all know churches that are struggling. We all know um, cities that are hurting more than others. And what a beautiful, I mean, you know, practical, beautiful, a 
picture of what the church should be. And I think something that if you're a pastor listening right now or you're uh, in church leadership right now, you can you can do immediately. Yeah, he says uh, those uh, those churches that are doing fine financially, he says, take some of that money and find some sister churches that mm-hmm. preach the gospel and have been hit hard and just partner with them. I love it. Say to them, how can we give to you? How can we help you? Uh, he says, do this in a non-paternalistic, non-patronizing, non-condescending way. You've got to make sure that you empower the people you're giving to. Like, I don't know. People might be listening right now going, that's obvious. Of course. <laughs> All I'm telling you is churches aren't good at this. People don't right. do this. Right. Businesses aren't good at this. whatever else it might be. So let me ask you, apart from COVID, you're a pastor, you uh-huh. and Kevin, like, how how intentional have you been reaching out to other churches and what's some fruit you've seen, like partnering with other churches for the sake of partnering rather right. than like, what can I get out of it? Right. That? I mean, I will say there was one time, I guess two years ago, which tells you how well we've done. There's one time, Brian. <laughs> there was this time. <laughs> There's a church plant in the city, not affiliated with us, but like missional, um, you know, really caring for Chicago, people who love Jesus, declaring the gospel, biblically sound. And um, we just had some relational connections. And so we had them come to Renewal and Kevin interviewed them. We brought their whole team to the front. Our church leaders laid hands on them and then we gave them a financial gift. And Mm. I mean, you know, it feels good because I think sometimes in the church world, you had said this earlier today, Brian, that when you're meeting with your pastors, there can sometimes be a little bit of that competition thing happening, which is so wrong, right? Absolutely. um, And, you know, sometimes we can almost feel threatened, right? Like, oh, this young church plant's coming in. They're going to take X, Y, Z, which is, again, just silly. But it's like, no, the kingdom of God is advancing, right? More people will hear the gospel. More ground is being taken for Jesus' name. Why wouldn't we be about that? Why wouldn't we be passionate about the growth of another church and the well-being of another church? I remember early on uh, another church being planted in our area and doing that, getting them to uh, come down and we prayed for them and this and that. And it it does feel weird because you're like, oh, no, what if some of my people go? (laughs) (laughs) Right, You feel like a little bit. But I think it's like sort of like the Target Walmart scenario, right? Like Walmart comes in. It's good for both of them. Good for Walmart. Good for Target. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I wanted to end there just as an urge. Like if you're in a church, if you lead a church going, what does it look like for us to partner and to think bigger than my small C church, but to think what, how can I support other churches? How can I support our community? How can I help the hurting? I think there's going to be a great opportunity for churches and not just an opportunity. That sounds a little opportunistic, but instead just... (laughs) Just an open door to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Well, we're glad you're with us today. What are you guys doing tonight? What is happening in the Samson House tonight? You know, I was thinking like, oh, maybe we can all go out to dinner. Or Kevin and I could go on a date night, but it's a youth group night. And so that means our babysitter, I say that so negatively, it's youth group night. No, it's youth group night. But our babysitter, our 14 year old who usually watches the younger kids when we go out for an hour or so, he's going to be out, you know, and he's going to be with friends. This is good stuff. So we'll probably just hang out here, maybe watch The Chosen. Uh, oh, it just came out in uh, season two, right? Yeah, season two came out. And so Kevin and I are getting all caught up on that. What are you guys going to do tonight? I, I See, I shouldn't ask you questions that I don't have an answer for. <laughs> I'm like, I actually don't know. My son had baseball practice, but it got canceled. So now we got some time here. And I'm like, I don't know. We're at the age where kids are just running all over Isn't the place. Isn't it nuts? They totally are. 
Yeah, so I asked you what you're doing, and then I'm like, I have no That's idea. That's fine. You can tell me tomorrow doing. what you did. This will be a, we I, can follow it, up. <laughs> I'm guessing it will not be exciting, but there will be something. I will have something <laughs> okay. to share. Well, fair. We would love to have you join us tomorrow from four until six. Until then, I hope you have a great night. For Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life.